And if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Acts chapter 12. And we are going to just continue to walk through this incredible book found in the Bible and the story of God. It's our story and uh, just an encouraging text this morning. Uh, so Acts 12 is where we're going to be. And I do want to, I mentioned a moment ago, uh, just thankful uh, for Pastor Daniel preaching the word last week and, and uh, thankful for just our team uh, our volunteers, our faith family. Uh, we were away last week, and, and it is true, a- absence makes the heart go fonder. And it was, uh, we missed you, and we were praying for you. And uh, it was a blessing to, to be able to, to kind of get away for a little while. And uh, we had just a blast. I don't know if, if y'all have had an opportunity to go to the North Georgia Mountains is where we went for a couple days. We found a cabin in the woods in a place called Ella J, Georgia. We actually named one of our daughters that we liked the name so much, we named her Ella J. And so we went over there and we had this bucket list that we wanted to hopefully do while we were there. So we wanted to do some hiking and see uh, just waterfalls and stuff like that. Uh, we had some friends that were missionaries in Brazil uh, that my wife actually used to serve with down there and they were on furlough in Atlanta. So we were able to spend a day with them. Had, had a blast. We mined for gold. Uh, one of those little like side of the road things. Uh, we didn't strike it rich, but uh, it was fun. It was good times. Uh, and uh, we went tubing uh, down the, there's a river and there's a little town called Helen, George over there. We tubed, uh, which by the way, there was like a cold front that came by here. I don't know if y'all remember that. Well, it's colder in the mountains and it's like 54 degrees as we're driving to go tubing. And I'm like, what are we doing? And, uh, but the sun came out and it was really cold, but it was a lot of fun. Eat ice cream. That was one of the goals like every night. Uh, and then do a campfire. And so uh, being a spoiled American, uh, we want to go a campfire. So I literally bought firewood <laughs> from, from Atari prepackaged and got the s'more stuff. And then went and uh, went and got one of those fire starter logs that you know, you just light it on fire and it, it does whatever it needs to do. And so literally I bought everything at Walmart to, to go to have our, our little fire there. And, and the reason I share that story about the, the campfire thing is I brought uh, a little bit of that campfire uh, to, to us to church, with us to church this morning. And uh, I'm sure like the archaeological dig people used fires too. We were talking about that. But, but I brought this today that I hope it will help illustrate a very important spiritual truth for us in our lives. And I'll share that truth and, and I'll kind of unpack it a bit as we walk through the text. But, but it, the, the truth is this, is by God's grace and by God's wisdom and by God's strength, We stack the wood, but only God can bring the answer. Only God can bring the fire. Only God can answer in a way that is in alignment with His will, His plans that are far above ours. But by God's grace, we stack the wood. And so that's really what this morning is all about. It's about as believers that we would be encouraged to stack the wood. And when I talk about stack the wood, I'm talking about by faith praying to our great God. Prayer is this incredible gift that was grace to us at a cost that that it's hard to get our heads and minds and hearts around. The, The cost of prayer came at the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That it is because of the shed blood of Jesus that we have been given the gift of this avenue, this instrument of communication to the Father. That because of the shed blood of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us, the Bible teaches us that we can approach His throne boldly and find grace and help in time of need. And this prayer, like any healthy communication, is a two-way prayer. Two lines of communication. It's a two-way street, two-way avenue, two-way highway. Prayer is communion with our Heavenly Father through communication with our Heavenly Father. And just like any other, what we would maybe define as healthy communication, it is talking and it is also listening. It is expressing what is going on in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Uh, your areas that you're concerned about that are going on, and at the same time, healthy 
Just like healthy communication, healthy prayer is this opportunity where we still our hearts and we listen. We listen for God's leading and guidance through His Holy Spirit. And so if we were to open up the mic and say, okay, everybody, we're just going to have an open mic. I want everybody to just come up one by one. Tell us, tell us about your prayer life. And, and I'm thinking like nobody probably wants to just jump up here and talk about that. But, but what we would probably hear is perhaps some folks that, that maybe we would say, wow, they, they're like a prayer warrior. You hear that term, they're a prayer warrior. Or maybe we, we see the other end of the spectrum and maybe can relate more like, I don't really feel like a prayer warrior. That's, that's some strong words. I feel more like a prayer baby or a prayer infant. But wherever you are on where uh, your communication level is with the Lord, here's what I'm certain of. And that's this, is that every single one of us would probably, as believers, agree that there's more. That there's a deeper, more meaningful prayer life that God desires for us. And that we probably realize there's some margin and some need in our lives where uh, effective prayer or more intentional prayer would be a blessing to our lives. The Bible says a lot about prayer. From right out of the gate in Genesis, you have Adam and Eve, and they are in fellowship with the Lord. They are in communication with the Lord. Genesis 3, things get off the rails really, really bad. <laughs> things get off the rails, but by Genesis 4, you see for the first time, the Bible says that they were calling on the name of the Lord. They were calling out in prayer. That if you uh, fast forward into the New Testament, and you see Jesus and you see the model of Jesus. He models for us this life of pulling away for times of silent solitude and prayer. You see that even as he's doing life with the disciples and, and they're like, how do we do this? He teaches them how to pray. And he says, this, he says, when you pray, pray like this. So there is this understanding that as a believer that prayer is 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 going to be an essential part of our faith. When you pray. So you're going to pray. So when you pray. Here's how you do this. And you pray. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. As he makes his way into what we call the passion week. The final week of his earthly ministry. He enters through in what's known as the triumphal entry. He goes into the temple. And he makes this, this statement that many of us have perhaps heard before. He says, my house shall be a house of. And what he doesn't say is fill in the blank with, with a lot of things that maybe come to mind when we think about church. He didn't say my house is going to be a house of ministry. He didn't say my house is going to be a house of, of fellowship. He doesn't say my house is going to be a house of preaching. He says, my house is to be a house of prayer. And so no doubt he walked in the temple and he saw what it had become and it grieved his heart. And he says, my house is to be a house of prayer. In Acts chapter 2, we started in the book of Acts um, in February and walking through. But the church was birthed in a prayer meeting. That upper room, they're lifting up prayers. The Holy Spirit falls. By Acts chapter 6, you see, or, or actually a little later in Acts chapter 2, it says what they, the, the early church devoted themselves, the apostles teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the prayer. In Acts chapter 6, there were needs that were mounting all around them. Y'all can relate, right? You get these pressures, there's all these things that need to be done. In this instance, in Acts chapter 6, there was actually uh, some widows had been neglected in the food distribution, which was a major problem and needed to be addressed. And yet the apostles in that setting, when the need was great, they said, but we must devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. The prayer was all along the most essential element of this early church. And when life got busier and when life got more complex and when greater demands started piling up, it must have been so tempting for these apostles to say, God understands, I got to get to work. Or, or, or God, God's good, he's got this, I got I to gotta jump to it. We got this list of things that we need to get done. So as those needs rise, our temptation to step away from prayer and into the doing 
rises up, ratchets up, and said for, for those for apostles, for in that moment as the pressure rose, they, they even, they doubled down. They're like, they're like, we must devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. There's a famous leadership saying, and I don't know who said it, and I've even said it, but it's that everything rises and falls on leadership. And there's a lot to that. But I heard another statement that I think is better than that one. And it's everything rises and falls on prayer. And so what we are going to see in this text is that by God's grace, we do in His strength and His wisdom and in His grace what we know to do. We stack the wood. And in faith, we stack the wood in prayer and we trust the Lord. So we stack the wood and we trust the Lord. We are limited people. I don't like saying that. I don't like having limits. I don't like getting tired. I don't like not getting done everything that I think that I was supposed to get done in this day. But the reality is, is we are limited. We are finite. We all have capacity levels. We're not superheroes. Although like when you were a kid, you were wearing those Superman pajamas. Like you knew you were, right? You are and then you grow up and you're like, wow, I'm really not super a superhero. Although it would be awesome to fly and... And all that kind of stuff. We're not superheroes. God didn't make us to be superheroes. Think about it. He created us from the dust. And He breathed life into us. We are dependent people. We can't save people. We can't make decisions for people. We don't have the power to take a sickness or a disease away. We are limited people. But by God's grace... We do everything we know to do in His strength and His wisdom and His power. And we stack the wood in prayer. And we intercede and we pray. And we trust the Lord. We trust His wisdom, His grace, His care, His will, His ways that are way above our ways. We stack the wood. We trust the Lord. Let's look at Acts chapter 12 verse 1. We see this. About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, first observation that we're going to see is that there is a warning to all who oppose God. And initially, well, what we read, we're going to be like, where do you see that? We'll see it. But here's a warning to all those who oppose, to oppose God. It says, at that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So this is not... The King Herod the Great that was in ruling when Jesus, uh, the incarnation of Jesus, his, his birth in a manger there in Bethlehem. That was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was wicked. He was evil. He was twisted. Uh, he had major problems. He was like the pride, the, 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 the himself being a God. Like he had major, major problems. And he's the one in Matthew chapter 2, when he couldn't find Jesus, he had every baby murdered in Bethlehem. He was wild. He even murdered some of his own children. He even murdered some of his own wives. The Herod that we read about in Acts 12, this is Herod Agrippa I. This is the grandson, one of the grandsons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great actually murdered Agrippa's dad. This, there, there is some, there's some major evil in the camp, in the Herod camp. But for Herod, or Herod Agrippa, he grew up in Rome. And while he was in Rome, he obviously grew uh, in his affinity for Rome, because he's a Roman. And he also grew in his affinity for the Jews. And so this is important because as he grows up, and now he's in rule over here in Judea, he wants to keep Rome looking good and he wants to keep the Jews happy. And so what could he do to be able to do that? In verse 2, we see that he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. That Agrippa chose to focus to attack the leadership of the early church. If I can take out the top, the rest is just going to crumble. And we see he killed the James, the brother of John. Now, James was, was the brother of John. James and John, they're the sons of Zebedee. They had a nickname called the Sons of Thunder. Like a strong nickname, had some pretty short temper, like God did a work on them. 
um, no doubt. Uh, but, but it's interesting that like in Jesus' earthly ministry, there was a moment where James and John, the other disciples, and James and John's mom were having a conversation. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, the Bible says this, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, Jesus, with her sons, James and John. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And James and John speak up. They say, we are able and he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And so this cup that they're talking about, this cup is the cup of suffering. It's the cup of suffering. And, and what Jesus is telling James and John is, is that you will drink this cup. In Acts chapter 12, James has drank of the cup of suffering. And he loses his life. And there is no question. Can you imagine the devastating blow to the early church? They're gathering. Now Peter, James, and John. If Jesus had 12 disciples. They would become what we would call the apostles. The one who were sent out. And, and, and of the 12 there were three that Jesus brought in a little closer. For more intimate times of discipleship. And it was Peter, James, and John. And so this is who he had his Sights on, he murders James. And then verse 3, the Bible says this in Acts 12. It says, and when he, Agrippa, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. In other words, he saw how the crowd responded to James. And he's like, I want more. I want more fame. I want more praise. I want more attention. I took James out. Now I'm going for Peter. And so he detains Peter. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is happening. It's another name for Passover. And so it was against the rules in that time to to uh, perform capital punishment during the festival. So they detained Peter, and as soon as Passover was over, they were going to execute Peter. Well, here's Peter. He's being detained, and the Bible says that they had four squads of soldiers. So a squad was four soldiers, and there were four squads. So you had 16 guys that were appointed to, to keep an eye on Peter. And, and some believe all 16 were there watching him all the time. Some believe it was like, like rotations of four soldiers. But at any rate, he was chained to one soldier on one side. He was chained to another soldier on one side. And there were soldiers standing at the door. And so why in the world 16 people? It seems a bit much. But if you read the Bible, the disciples were slippery. <laughs> like, like, like Peter could... Peter's already been in jail once and, and an angel broke him out and he was back in the temple preaching. And so Agrippa's like, 16 men, watch him and don't let him go anywhere. And by the way, if you were a soldier and you were watching a prisoner, if that prisoner somehow like something happened and they got away, you would receive the punishment that they would be due. Now, I mentioned there's a warning to all those opposed God, and we don't have time to dive, dive into this, but here's why I say this. It's because you can read this passage and be like, Agrippa was a wicked man. And from everything I see, he is prospering. Like, like he is having this victory, but the encouragement is to know this. The encouragement is to know that evil will not ultimately triumph. That, that this wickedness may triumph for what appears an hour but be encouraged it is only for an hour it will pass and all those who oppose the Lord will be judged all those who oppose God's people will be judged at the end of chapter 12 
The Bible says that Agrippa was receiving the praises of the people. Verse 20, they were shouting, this is the voice of God and not a man. And the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last breath. All of those who oppose the Lord will be judged. It seems they triumph for an hour. It's only for an hour. And so this is what we see playing out in the text. And to understand and know that there will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be a day. But in Acts 12, Agrippa is wreaking havoc. And in verse 5, which is the theme of this morning, so Peter was kept in prison. And I love this, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the early church couldn't break him out. They couldn't get through that one gate to get to the next gate, to get past the guards, to get to Peter, to unlock the chains. Like there just wasn't a way for them to arrange that. So what did they do? They stacked the wood and they trust the Lord. We see in this text a rest that flows from a confidence in God. Look at verse six. The Bible says, and now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. This is amazing. So, so there's going to be a, that moments in these texts where you almost want to laugh a little bit because Dr. Luke is a physician. He's, a, he's obviously a sharp guy, probably speaks in language that I wouldn't necessarily use every day. But you even see Almost some of the some of the, the 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 humor that's coming out in this text, because here's Peter. Peter's sleeping. Peter is sleeping. Peter is sleeping. He's in a prison sleeping. He's chained to guards on each side of himself sleeping. He knows that he is going to be executed the next day and he's sleeping. How in the world do you sleep? Maybe you can relate. I, I remember growing up and my dad, like my dad, like I remember just being amazed at how fast that brother could fall asleep. And it didn't matter what time of day it was. Like if it was morning, afternoon or evening, if my dad is still, that head will be back. Mouth will be open. He will be snoring and he will be out. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you do that? And I, I told the 8 a.m. service, like if my dad does listen. I love you. And I'm. Sorry, I'm talking about you, but it is true. Like, dude can sleep. Apple doesn't far from, far, fall far from the tree because I am learning that skill as well. Like, like, I mean, he's out. But he's out not because, I mean, I, I'm confident he worked hard, served hard, loved the Lord in, in great vigor. But he's resting, I believe, because of what Jesus told him just a few months earlier. He's able to rest because he rested in the words of Christ. Here's what Jesus told Peter in John chapter 20, verse 18. It's the resurrected Christ restoring Peter to ministry. And he says this, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And here's what I believe Peter had latched a hold to is those words. But when you're old, but when you're old, we're just a few months away from this conversation. I believe Peter was able to sleep like a baby. He was able to face the imminent death that was scheduled for him. He was able to remain chained by prison guards and sleep because he had a confidence in the word of the Lord. And that is an encouragement for us is that God is faithful to his word. I love Isaiah 26 too. It says you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. He trusts in you. So verse 7 says, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, dress yourself 
Put your sandals on, and he did. Did I mention Peter could sleep? <laughs> I mean, he's asleep, and he missed the angel, and he missed the great light. And the Bible, you dig into the original language, struck means struck. He hit him. <laughs> Angel's like, wake up. It's time to go. Chains were off. Let's roll. Put on your sandals. And here's, I think, an important uh, insight into the text is that God could have done anything. God could have put his sandals on for him. He could have done all of that. But, but there's a divine human cooperative at work in our relationship with the Lord. And that God does what only he can do. But in his grace and his strength, we do what he gives us the strength to do. So you put on your shoes. I'll take care of the chains. And this is what he does. This is the work, the prayer at work. The church is stacking the wood. They have no idea. The church has no idea what's happening in this prison cell. And Peter has no idea what's happening with the church. But as we pray, God is working. Verse 8, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you, follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them of its own accord. That's another way of saying God opened the gate. Like it seems like who, how can that obstacle be moved out of the way? But God moves this gate and they went out. And they went along one street and immediately the angel left in verse 11. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And remember what the church is doing while all of this is unfolding. The church is earnestly praying. So what we are about to see is this secret weapon. That every believer has. A weapon that belongs to every believer. And it's prayer. Communion through communication. Prayers like bringing a gun to a knife fight. It must be the believer's first action. Not a last resort. And the early church was praying. They were earnestly praying. Verse 12 says when he realized this. So when Peter realized that this wasn't a dream. This is actually real life. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. So Peter, he's out, he goes to Mary's house. Mary um, is the mother of John Mark. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark. He's maybe a teenager Maybe getting towards the 20s at this time. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples. But, but his mom Mary opened their home for ministry. And, and it's, it's some, some would say perhaps her, her upper room was where Christ had his final meal with his disciples before his, uh, before his arrest. Some believe that's where the early church was praying when the church was birthed. Uh, but, but regardless, Mary uh, had this space that she opened for the work of the Lord, the ministry of the Lord. And they are praying. In verse 13, and he knocked at the door of the gateway. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. And in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. I love this part because put yourself in Peter's shoes. Knock, knock, knock on the gate. Somebody comes to the door. Hey, let me in. They just take off running the other direction like she is so excited. Why? Because this is what they've been praying for. This is what they've been praying for. She runs in verse 15. They said to Rhoda, they said, you're out of your mind. You've lost your mind. How could Peter be at the gate? He's 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 in prison. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, is this an angel? So they're like debating theology at this point. And like Peter's at the door, like, let me in. There are Roman people that are coming to get me. I'm sure at any moment, let me in, let me in. Verse 16 says, but Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. 
they were amazed that God had answered their prayer. I, I love the humanity of the early church. Because for many of us, there have probably been those moments where by God's grace, we, we're stacking the wood, we're praying, we want to believe that the Lord can do and work and move in incredible ways, but yet there's this little bit of doubt that's kind of resting in our hearts that maybe deep down doesn't believe it could ever happen, but yet, here is the answer to their prayers right before them. And they were amazed. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. You say, what James? Tell James, this is, this is most likely James, the half-brother of Jesus. Who would write the book of James? Who would become the leader of the church in Jerusalem? He says, tell these things to James and to the brothers and then... He departed and went to another place. There's a lot here, but here's some encouragement for us. That, and it's this, the prayer meeting worked. The prayer gathering worked. There's a, a famous saying by a guy named Thomas Watson. He was a Puritan. He said this, he said, the angel fetched Peter, but prayer fetched the angel. That prayer changes things. That prayer affects things. That prayer makes a difference. That God uses the prayers of His people to accomplish His purposes. That prayer is the chosen tool and the instrument that God has provided for us to pray and adore Him and confess to Him and thank Him and intercede for others for our behalf to Him and God works and moves. Prayer is the instrument of our Heavenly Father uses to align our will with others. And, and the reality is, is that God does answer every prayer. But there are times where it's not what maybe we had hoped. That God's answer may be yes, and we are seeing a resounding yes. It could be, no, it could be, not yet. But they are stacking the wood and they are praying. Prayer is not a formula to get what you want. It is a gracious, blood-bought gift from God that He has chosen that His people who have been rescued by Him would intercede and pray to Him. And so we can't make predictions and we don't always get what we want. But we can by faith stack the wood. And we can trust the Lord. God answers prayers. He answers prayers. And there are all kinds of reasons. Why. For whatever reason we choose not to use this instrument. That God has graciously given us. That if we take moment to understand who it is we're praying to and the power of the Almighty, that that, that that should be enough to encourage us to stack the wood. But yet there are reasons why. There are reasons why in Ronnie Floyd's book, How to Pray, he says there's four reasons. He said one is pride. Pride keeps us from praying. Pride overestimates the power of self. So we don't pray because we can do it. We don't pray because we don't need the Lord to do it. We can do it in our own strength. Pride is a reason that we don't pray. Unbelief is a reason we don't pray. It underestimates the power of God. Power can do, God can do anything. And He can work in miraculous ways. But unbelief is, is a reason why people don't pray. Another is ignorance. It's not, it's different than, than stupidity. Ignorance overestimates the difficulty of talking to God. That, that it is possible that that prayer seems like this thing that either we might mess up or we might not do right or, or, or it's this complicated thing when no, it is, it is just as healthy communication as anyone that you would speak to. When you share your heart, and God's Spirit speaks to you. And a fourth reason is time. And that is when we underestimate the value of being with God. This is what the apostles had every chance in the world. To be like, i got to get to work. i got to get to work. i got to get to 
that thing. I got to fix that problem. I got to do that. But they, no, they said, we, we must, we must pray. We must pray. Time keeps us from prayer because we underestimate the value of being with God. And so if we want to see God move, if we want to see God answer, if we want to experience the manifest presence of the Lord, if we want revival, if we want awakening in our own hearts, we must stack the wood. And when it doesn't seem or feel like God is answering, be encouraged, keep stacking the wood. This honors the Lord. It's persistent prayer. It's earnest prayer. It's different than a one-time kind of prayer. It is an earnest, fervent prayer. Jesus taught us about this in Luke chapter 11. He says this in Luke 11 verse 9. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, would instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asked for an egg... We'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil how, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so it's an honoring discipline of the Lord to keep asking and to keep seeking and to keep knocking and to keep stacking the wood. And we trust the Lord. And so typically on a sermon, on a normal, like, any other Sunday, we would preach the word and we would have a song and we'd have pastors available. The altar would be open and, and we would encourage those who would feel led, be led to respond to the message, to pray, to come and pray or to come and speak to pastor or make your chair right there, your altar. Um, but today is going to look just a little bit different than normal. It's going to be just a little bit different than normal. And what I'd like us to do is just wrap up our time this morning in, in prayer. And I realize, like, even that can kind of stoke these, like, what's he going to make us do? What's he going to ask us to do? That's going to, no, 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 be, be, at, be at peace, be at ease. Because what happens oftentimes when we pray is we jump straight to the ask. We jump straight to the ask, and what we jump over is an opportunity to adore God for who he is. An opportunity to, to bring our hearts before the Lord, ask him to shine his holy light into our lives reveal those areas that don't honor him we can call those things what they are repent of those things and open up the gates of right fellowship with the lord and then to pray the bible says in second chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. And so what I want to do is I want to guide us through a prayer time. And I want to just say as we prepare to pray. At any point as we pray. I want you to feel freedom. I want you to feel freedom to come and pray at the altar. If you feel led to come and pray at the altar. I want you to feel like if you're like. Ah, I kind of want to get in a little spot that's a little more. I don't know, like, that I don't feel somebody's just right here beside me. Like, feel freedom to do that. If you're a family, you want to circle up. I know it's kind of hard with our, our chairs like that, but circle up. Like, let this be however it wants to be. But I want to walk us through the acts of prayer. We're walking through the book of Acts, the acts of prayer. Uh, if you were able to pick up a bulletin, uh, we put this as an insert in your bulletin. Uh, we have more out there. But this is just a guide. It's been a guide that's been around for a long time. So I don't know who wrote it or who started it, but it's a gift. And what it does is it allows us to walk through. And so what we're going to do in this prayer time is just walk through these and give you time to pray. And then we'll wrap our time up. So there's four types of prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We begin with adoration. We begin with adoration. Adoration is adoring God. It's adoring God. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It started with glorifying God. It didn't start by looking at the hands of God. It started by looking at the face of God. And so when we adore him, we adore the Lord for his character. 
Adoration focuses on who He is, not necessarily what He's done. And so it honors Him for His holiness. He is altogether separate and holy. It praises and adores Him for His mercy, for His love and for His patience, for His grace, for His character. We adore Him. We honor the Lord and we adore Him. Psalm 145, 1-3 says, I will extol you or praise you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. And so even just in this moment, that you almost draw kind of a circle around yourself or or again, like I said, if you want to gather together, however you feel led, but just take a few moments and just simply adore God for who He is. we move to a time of confession confession is acknowledging to God our specific sin and resting in his pardon as believers confession is agreeing with God about what it is 1 John 1 9 through 10 says if we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And it is important as we think about confession that we pray as believers as a forgiven people because we are. When we repent of our sin and trust Jesus Christ, we are positionally forgiven. The Bible says the work of Christ on the cross, it is done. It is finished. That the Bible teaches that we are justified in Christ. This is an incredible truth that some have described as just as if you've never sinned. That in Christ, we're in Christ, in relationship with Him. That He has gifted us His righteousness. A righteousness that we can never buy or a righteousness we can never work for or earn. And so confession is about our fellowship with the Lord. It's about our fellowship. So perhaps there's areas of your life that maybe you've been struggling with, wrestling with, continuing to return to, and and you hear the Holy Spirit leading you to call it what it is, repent of it, and rest in the grace and forgiveness of God. Many of us will know what it's like to to, to grow up as a child or a son or a daughter and, and nothing could change the fact that you're their son or you're their daughter but when we've done something we know that doesn't honor them and we hide it, it there's, this, there's this relational fellowship tension that can be created and, and God for whatever reason seems distant but the Bible says draw near to God He'll draw near to you so in this time let's bring our struggles to the Lord. Call it what it is and rest in His grace.
Now thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is appreciating God for His benefits to us, His blessings. Thanksgiving is giving thanks to God for the way that He has moved in our life. Or for how He's provided for your every need. Psalm 69 verse 30 says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. Let's thank the Lord. supplication supplication is where by faith in faith we stack the wood we do what we know to do and we trust the Lord we trust him supplication is interceding for ourselves it's those areas of our lives that we desperately need God's grace to refine and strengthen and help those areas personally in our own private worlds that we need His grace. And it's an opportunity to pray for others. It's an opportunity to pray for God's will in the lives of those we care about or perhaps care about and we may not even know. There is no doubt that as the early church gathered, they were interceding. They were stacking the wood. They were trusting the Lord. And so perhaps that's prayer for yourself. Perhaps that is someone who you care about, who you know doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. That God has placed them on your heart, in your family, in your sphere of influence, and praying and seeking and asking for salvation for that person who needs the Lord. Perhaps it's family, those that are closest to us, perhaps your spouse, your children. Uh, extended family, people you care about, you know, specific areas of need in their lives that you are praying that God would work in a mighty and powerful way. Perhaps it's even praying for the persecuted church that this is not just an event that happened centuries ago, but yet today there are literally millions of believers who experience suffering and persecution for being believers in the Lord Jesus. That you would intercede on their behalf and pray for their behalf and stack wood on their behalf. That's just taking time and praying, interceding for those who serve and protect. Those in uniform, those in our military, those that are first responders, those who find themselves on the front lines of allowing us to experience the freedoms and the joys that we have. Perhaps it's leaders. Perhaps it's leaders for our world. Leaders for our nation. Leaders for those places you work. Leaders even in our own city. Elections are a grace from God. We have municipal elections this Tuesday. Elections are a grace from God. We pray and we honor Him. We pray and we honor Him. He's given us opportunity that perhaps there are untold things that are going on in your world and you are praying and interceding and you're stacking the wood. Paul said in Colossians 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. So as we wrap up our time here of acts and supplication, intercession, a couple things I would encourage. Number one, VBS, I mentioned, is coming up. That's why we got all these columns and rocks and awesome design things happening up here. It's going to be a great week. And on the steps are the names, at least as up to date as we could be, of children who are going to be taking part in VBS. And also those leaders who are going to be investing in them. We had green bands to identify the leaders and we ran out. So if a red one has a little asterisk beside it, that's a leader too. But we want to stand in the gap. We want to stack the wood. Did you know every single one of these wristbands represents a family? And you never know what's going on in a family's world. But here we have an opportunity to intercede specifically for these children and for their leaders. To know the love of Jesus. To respond to the love of Jesus. For God to work in a mighty way in their lives. So as we wrap up this time, I would encourage you is that you would make your way, if you would feel led, no pressure, but that you would just snag one of these wristbands, put it around your wrist for this next week and intercede on a continual basis for this child or for this family. And then I would also say in this time that we'll have pastors down here, if you're here and you would like somebody to pray specifically over you, we would love to pray over you and for you. And that if you would feel led even during this time to come to the altar, come to the altar, pray, pray at your chair. We have uh, some ladies that are going to be here. I realize oftentimes we have pastors here, but we'll have ladies. Megan will be here. Megan, would you mind rising, raising your hand? And would you mind raising your hand? My sister over here. Kristen's over there. They're available to pray for you. And so, ladies, if you would want a lady to pray for you, that would be a blessing. So what we're going to do, we're just going to give it a little time. It's not going to be long. But let's stack the wood. Let's stack the wood and let's trust the Lord. So my lovely bride is going to lead us in a time of worship. Pray, come, intercede, and let's give this time to the Lord.